hand clap of praise. Yeah, he's been good to us, hasn't he? And thank God for you, you and especially you who have graced our presence here today in this worship service of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We understand that many in the past calendar week have gone on to their eternal reward, many of whom are connected with respective individuals that are seated throughout this auditorium today. But we know none of that escapes God, and we're praying for their families, and we're praying that God would give them comfort during this most trying time. Many have voiced uh, interest um, over becoming members here at Harvest Church, so I just want to put this out there for your remembrance. Uh, two things, two things. I want to start by saying thank you to the 15 men who were present and on the scene yesterday for an event that uh, uh, was scheduled over Brother Jerry Fuquay's house, and I believe Sister Sally would be greatly appreciative of all your energy and efforts exhausted yesterday. Amen. Um, um, due, due to um, the fact that uh, we thought that we possibly may not have enough participants, we actually rescheduled our roadside cleanup uh, project. I apologize for uh, any of you that um, actually were visible on the scene and that didn't take place. We tried to uh, make efforts to reach everyone. But thank you so much for those group that came out and worked so hard to be a blessing in the life of another. And I want to say to those persons who voiced um, an interest in becoming members here that there will be applications for membership available to you. Uh, there will be prerequisites that you already meet. And we just want you to take the time uh, to actually complete that form and return it. And on Easter Sunday morning, Easter Sunday morning, going to be two wonderful things that will take place here. We will receive new members and we'll celebrate the Lord's resurrection on Easter Sunday morning. Now to top all that off, them stimulus checks has just hit. Ain't Jesus good? Somebody hollered first fruits. Absolutely. Amen. Absolutely. This is something we said is the Lord had impressed our hearts years ago that it would be something a part of our ministry and service here to God throughout the ages to come. So if you haven't already prayed, you need to start praying now that what God would have you to give. Lord, Lord, what would you have me to give? Now I understand and that this is, it doesn't have anything to do with my message. I'm going to get into that in just a few minutes. I understand the Old Testament mandate of the tithe. And the church is split about 50-50 on that mandate because most people say, well, I just got to give God 10%. While the other half says, well, the, the Bible don't even specify in the New Testament that we pay tithe. You are so correct. The Bible does not specify in the New Testament that we pay tithe. But the Bible does tell us that we are to give out of our abundance. You know what that means? That means you can probably pay more than 10%. I can tell now I better shift gears because you talk about money, people get funny. Anyway, that means that we're to give out of how God's blessed us. Now, how many in here has the Lord blessed? Yeah. So, so, so scratch the thought that I'm just going to give God 10% and I'm good. No. 
We're to give out of how we've been blessed, out of our abundance. Now, I do want to help you understand I did a series on first fruits and tithes and offerings and the difference thereof. And the Bible makes it very clear to us when we misabuse the giving of our gift to God, then we're charged interest. Hello, somebody. I better preach while I got your attention. Amen. We started uh, several weeks ago on a series, Who Do You Say I Am? We stated that it would focus on the message and ministry of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This series would come to an end or culminate on Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday morning. Oh, let me also insert, we will have Holy Communion on Easter Sunday morning. Amen. So I want, the, I want the board of deacons to be ready with those elements. And amen, we're going to spend some time on our face before the Lord expecting uh, an awesome move of God. We've even talked about going back outside on Easter Sunday morning. Yeah, we, we kind of feel that it, 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 it may cause us a bit of a problem with uh, a number of people who may choose to assemble on that Sunday morning. So to stay safe. And do those things we've done that have covered us, uh, the board and myself and the band and myself. We've talked a little bit about possibly um, going back outdoors on Easter Sunday morning. So pray for cooperative weather. Amen. God would bless us. I want to preach one verse in your hearing today. I'm sure you're very familiar. If you'll stand in the presence of God, we will glean together from his word. In the scriptures penned in the book of Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26 and verse number 28. Acts 26 verse 28. The word of God states, Then Agrippa said to Paul, You almost persuade me to become a Christian. I want to title this message today, Almost persuaded. Almost persuaded. God of heaven, thank you again for blessing us to gather as your people. God, to worship you in spirit and in truth. Thank you for your word that has been penned in ages past for our observance. May today, God, it go forth in great power and conviction so as to change lives. Those listening or viewing today via social media, I pray, Lord, that you would not hold your, withhold your blessing from them. Many, Father, battling sickness and or disease. Many struggling from surgeries and procedures. Many, Father God, undergoing extensive rehabilitation. We just ask, O oh Lord, that you would strengthen them. More than that, God, would you save that soul that's nearest hell. Today is my prayer. In Jesus' name, his church said amen. Amen. You might be seated in the Lord's presence. I believe it's crystal clear that Jesus Christ is the theme of the entire Bible. Even though many people say Jesus didn't arrive until the Gospels of the New Testament, I beg to differ. Because we see Jesus throughout the prophecies of the Old Testament. We see Jesus in the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis, during the creation. We see Jesus throughout the entirety of the scriptures. And it is the Bible, God's word that has served as a beacon to point us, the world, to God's offer of salvation, the offer of reconciliation, the hope of forgiveness, and eternal life 
through the atoning sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. Scripture records a conversation between Jesus and a prominent Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus in the gospel according to John chapter number 3. And that conversation extends from verse 1 through verse 21. For those of us who may not be familiar with who the Pharisees were, they were a self-righteous sect of the Jews who held very tightly to their interpretation of the law. In other words, nobody else was right on the planet except for them. They were the only person who were bent on rule keeping and therefore the only persons in right standing with God. The Bible tells us that Nicodemus was a a very prominent Pharisee and he was a member of the Sanhedrin Council. The Sanhedrin Council consisted of 71 members including the high priest who acted as its chief officer. And the job of the Sanhedrin was under Roman authority. They presided over both civil and religious matters. So so understand with me something very clearly. Even though the Jews were under Roman authority, uh, the Jews still allowed, I'm sorry, the, the Romans still allowed the Jews the practice of their faith and religion. So this council consisted of of 70 elders. A lot of people say they, they kind of piggybacked off of uh, Moses and some structure that he had established many, many years prior in the Old Testament. But there was something, Brother Anthony, that was beyond their jurisdiction. And that was the death penalty. The death penalty was beyond the ability, power, or jurisdiction of the Sanhedrin Council. And so then they turned those matters over to other persons of authority. Many of you might say, well, we're not too familiar with this uh, King Agrippa. This was actually Herod Agrippa II, uh, the Bible would tell us. And he ruled over both Judea and Samaria during the time of the penning of Acts. We understand Jesus has already been crucified resurrected and ascended but the people of God are still engaged in the practice of their faith and the word of the Lord tells us that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night brother Jerry I I ministered a sermon years ago and I called Nicodemus undercover brother some of you might say well why why would you call him undercover brother the Bible said the same came to Jesus by night Nicodemus was inquisitive he wanted to know certain things concerning the teaching of Jesus Christ, but he was a prominent Pharisee. So he went under the cover of night, Brother Oceanus, because he did not want others to know that he was even concerned with the ministry of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? You're still still staying with me, all right? So the Bible tells us that his theology, Nicodemus' theology, contained one flaw. What was it? He failed to understand that Jesus was not just someone sent from God. He failed to understand that Jesus was God himself in a human body and not just a representative who was sent from God. Anybody remember the famous words of Jesus to Nicodemus? You must be born again. 
You think Nicodemus had difficulty processing that? Born again literally means to be born from above. Born again involves a spiritual transformation. It's an act of God whereby eternal life is imparted to a person who believes. Let me sum it up for you like this. What gives us life as a Christian? The Spirit of God. The Word of the Lord said the Spirit quickens us. That means He made us alive. So as sinners then, were we not dead? Preach, Pastor Terry. As sinners, we were dead. The word of the Lord says, Brother Timmy, we were dead in our sins and trespasses uh, against God. And we were spiritually dead. So then how do we receive life? It can only be done through faith in Christ that we receive life spiritually. You see, the scriptures liken this to a rebirth. Somebody say hallelujah. The scriptures equate or compare salvation to rebirth, being born again. And when we're reborn, we begin to take on the image and likeness of our father. How about babies? When babies are born, don't they bear similarities to their parents? How about when livestock's born? Amen. A cow only has a cow. Can I get an amen? A dog only has a dog. A cat only a cat. Can I preach this while I'm here? So then we can only be spiritually reborn through the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And Jesus made it clear that that that's born of a man, amen, it's flesh. But what's born of God is the spirit. How many have been reborn today? How many are living that new life through Jesus Christ, the Lord of our life? We'll find that in Jesus' earthly ministry, he often used metaphors. Jesus often took something uh, that was symbolic and compared it to something else. Sometimes he used things that were different but still had similarities. He used metaphors where one thing represents another. You ever heard this phrase, life is a roller coaster? Anybody ever heard that? Anybody ever heard laughter is the music of the soul? That's a metaphor. That's where one thing symbolizes or represents another. How about this? America is the melting pot. Has that ever been the truth? Jesus used metaphors to explain spiritual ideas. So the best way that he could put the new birth to Nicodemus was to explain that when we're born into the family of God, at that minute we begin the process of growth where we begin to look more like our father. Jesus explained when a baby is born, a new life emerges that was previously non-existent. So he helped Nicodemus to understand that he needed to experience the new birth. And thank God that through Jesus, you and I have received the new birth. Paul writes to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 17. This is very, very, very clear and understandable. Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
For old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Does anybody here not understand the depth of that statement? It means our behavior changes. Our way of living changes. Our attitude changes when we accept Jesus as the Lord of our life. Now, we had some ingrained stuff in us, Brother Anthony, that, that it took God over a process of time to change. We'd been addicted to the way of the world and sin itself, but thank God Jesus broke the curse of sin over our life. So I want to I wanna talk a little bit about Jesus' mission today. His mission. Anybody know what a mission is, Brother Ernie? You, you've been in the military. Would you be, would you be um, in agreement with me in saying that a mission is an important assignment? A mission is an important assignment. So what was Jesus' mission? Brother Greg, you've you been in the military. Would you agree? A mission is an important assignment. So wouldn't it be helpful for us to know as the body of believers here assembled together today at Harvest Church what the mission of Jesus Christ was? The mission of Jesus Christ was to seek and to save. To seek and to save. His mission on earth, his fulfillment of God's eternal purpose was restoration and the salvation of sinners. Do you know that there's nothing more gratifying in the sight of God than when a sinner comes home? Would you help me realize that today? Brother Jody, did you know the Bible even declares that there's rejoicing in the very presence of angels when one lost person comes to Jesus? So can you imagine the party that's shaking down in heaven when a bunch of people get saved? So how should the church respond to that? Oh my, we ought to tear the roof off this place. When people come to know the Lord, we ought to be so ecstatic that, man, it would seem like the roof's being raised off. I've said this at Harvest Church more than one time. I'll say it till I have no breath in me. The moment that we lose concern or become uninterested in soul winning, we ought to padlock the door and go home. Because we're always going to be about soul winning. Look what the gospel according to Luke chapter 19 and verse 10 says. Luke chapter 19, for the Son of Man has come to do what? To seek and to save that which was lost. That's the mission of Jesus Christ. But he understood something, Brother Buddy, real clearly. Jesus knew to win the loss, he had to spend time with the lost. Oh, my. Some of y'all looking at me now like, uh-oh. Uh-oh, you got to realize Jesus had some bitter opposition. And the Bible called the different sects of Jews, the Sadducees, the Pharisees. The Bible goes on and on and talks about all these groups who were in opposition to Jesus Christ. But his most bitter enemy were the Pharisees. Remember that group we said earlier who were righteous in their own eyes, who held to their interpretation strictly of the law. Nobody else could be right with them. And you know, you know, they looked down their long nose at you and thought that you didn't meet, uh, glory to God, their standard. But Jesus understood, amen, to win sinners, you got to spend time with sinners. Jesus said you got to be in the world but not of the world. Isn't that what he said? Oh, my somebody. What Jesus did, but he, he challenged others' views. You know what Jesus did? In the 21st century, somebody would say, Son, I'm going to tell you right now, Jesus walked in and rocked their status quo. Did he not? 
He did. He challenged their views, amen, and turned their thought process upside down. You say, Pastor, what was so unique about Jesus? He took time with everybody that he ever met. Can I preach while I'm here? Let's look at Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. And, and that group of people, Brother Steve, that I was talking about moments, don't you know they had something to say about Jesus and this extracurricular activity? He said, look, all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. Anybody know how despised a tax collector is today? Let's, let alone in Jesus' day. Anybody know people hate tax collectors even right now? And that people say, Lord, have mercy. We bought it. How long are we going to have to pay for it? Well, the governmental structure has it set up that you're going to pay for it as long as you got it. Preach on. So the more you got, the more you're going to pay. Oh, my God, somebody. Somebody like, I done paid for that thing one time. No, if you keep it long enough, you'll pay for it twice. Preach, Pastor, while you're there. They despised, the Jews despised the tax collectors. Why? Because they were employed by the Romans. Brother Greg, they hated them because they knew that those tax collectors were taking advantage of the people of God. And he walked by a table one day and there sat Matthew. And Jesus said, come on and follow me. Boy, something struck a note in his heart and he left all that money and decided to follow Jesus. Isn't that amazing? The Bible said, and the Pharisees and the scribes did what? They complained. This man receives sinners and eats with them. Jesus rocked their status quo. They said, them people ain't good enough. Jesus said, that's who I came for. Anybody hear what I'm saying today? Sinners, tax collectors, the outcasts, they became friends and acquaintances of Jesus. Hallelujah. And they did because they needed to know about repentance. They needed to know that forgiveness was available. Who else was going to tell them? It weren't the Pharisees who were only concerned that they were in right standing with God. So thank the Lord that God sent his son, Jesus Christ. You know, those Pharisees were the guardians of tradition. Yeah, man, they walked around and had them phylacteries on their wrist and on their forehead like they, they paraded themselves around like they uh, occupied some vaulted position like nobody else on the face of God's green planet amen could ride the same steed with them they really thought a lot of themselves didn't they but more than one time Jesus in the Bible he told them about their self amen pastor those people avoided anybody who didn't follow their strict system of rules. So there was no way in the world, Brother Steve, they were going to take time to witness to a, a tax collector. There was no way in the world they were going to take time to witness to an unbeliever. You were either in or there was no hope of you being in because they didn't make it a priority to win others. They were only concerned about themselves. I got to move on. Let's look at Mark chapter 2 and verse 17. Mark 2 and 17. The Bible said when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You ought to, you ought to give him some praise right there that Jesus came for me. You see what Jesus said? 
doctrines. If I know anything, I know this. When you're physically sick, you know you're sick. Can I get an amen? But how about when you're, how about when you're spiritually sick? When you're spiritually sick, are, 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 are you that in tuned? Are you that in tuned with your senses that you know? I believe a Christian does. But how about that person that's lost? A person that's lost, he's not spiritually sensitive to the reality that he's lost. Oftentimes it takes a setting or an environment like this, Brother Arbus, a good old gospel singing or somewhere where the word of God is being uh, preached, proclaimed, or promoted. Sometimes people will come to a gospel sing before they'll ever come to hear the preached word of God. But here's the truth. The spiritually sick often fail to see their illness. But Jesus didn't let the social status or cultural norms of their lives dictate his relationships with people. Who's glad? Hallelujah. For every person Jesus ever met, he had compassion. And I'll tell you something else I like about Jesus. Now the Pharisees were different. The Pharisees said you've got to change before you can be a part of who we are. But how many of you are glad today that you don't have to change before you come to Jesus? Y'all ain't hearing me. I said, how many are glad today that you don't have to change before you come to Jesus? You can come the way you are because if you had power to change, you wouldn't need him. You wouldn't need Jesus. That's why Jesus invites us to come as we are. People want to place this long list of rules and strict requirements on going to heaven and being with Jesus. People even want you to be confused into believing. Amen to God, brother Jason, you got to be baptized to go to heaven. It's not a requirement, brother. Amen. It's good if you are. But if, if the Lord calls you and you never have time to be immersed in a body of water, it's not going to separate you from heaven and eternity with God. Am I right? I don't remember Jesus blowing a whistle on the cross and saying to that malefactor on one side, hold on a minute, we got to get a body of water. We got to find a river somewhere and we got to baptize you before you can go with me. Go with me, amen, to my kingdom. But what did Jesus say? Woo, glory to God. Amen, I'm going to mess up somebody's theology. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. But I don't find anywhere in the scripture where Jesus said, hold on uh, just a minute. We're going to have to come down from here. And we're going to have to have us a spiritual leader, a pastor or a preacher, or uh, uh, John the Baptist or somebody. And we got to baptize this boy before he'll ever get to heaven. I want you to know that baptism is an outward symbol of an inward work. All that literally means is that you're being immersed in a body of water, saying to the world, my sins have been washed away. We crossed over the, the lumber river at, at Fair Bluff a few weeks ago and I told my wife it was in a February where I got immersed in that cold water right there as a teenage boy and I've never been the same anymore because I understood hallelujah to God what the symbolism in baptism was that's right Thank God you don't have to go be baptized. Somebody said, we got to wait to spring. We got to wait to summer. What if you die before then you can't go to heaven? Get real. The Bible said one railed on him when he, whoo, glory to God. When the other looked over there and said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said, today, Holy Ghost help me. Hallelujah. Jesus said, today. Shalt thou be with me in paradise. What did that tell you? He made it right with God.
God. Hallelujah. He didn't need an audience. He didn't need, hallelujah to God, the church to get the baptismal pool ready. They didn't need to set one down by the riverside. They didn't need to go to somebody's swimming pool. But Jesus said, today you're going to be with me in my kingdom. Thank God, somebody. Woo. Jesus had compassion. And thank God he didn't require a change before we came to him. We'll go to the doctor. The doctor say, now you need to lose some weight before you come back in here. We can't even lose weight before we go to the doctor. How in the name of God we're going to change before we meet Jesus? Some of us don't know if we're going to lose weight so our mouth shut. Because the truth is every time our elbow bends, our mouth fly wide open. I got to preach while I'm here. Glory to God. Oh, thank God. Jesus meets us where we are and extends his grace. I remember I spoke a little bit last Sunday about, about that despised woman of Samaria that admitted that well and he said to her, hallelujah, if you'll drink this water, you'll never thirst again. I could go on and on and on and on and on uh, through, the, through those encounters that Jesus had with other individuals. The Bible said in Luke chapter 5, he met one with leprosy. Oh, hallelujah to the Lamb of God. What happened to him, brother Anthony? Amen. Jesus touched him and made him whole. Are you with me? somebody. Thank God he meets us where we are and then he brings change. We don't have to change to come to Jesus. The Bible tells me there was another episode recorded in the gospel according to, to St. Mark in chapter number 7. The Bible said there was a Syrophoenician woman who had a daughter was, who was possessed with the devil. Are you listening to what I'm saying? And the Bible said she didn't even bring that girl to Jesus but she went and Jesus amen told her. He said go on home to your baby. You're going to find the devil's gone and she'll be laying on the bed. Yeah somebody I want to tell you. You don't have to change to come to Jesus. But you will after you do. You'll change after you do. Oh my, I gotta hurry. I gotta hurry. Hello, somebody. I wanna tell you what Jesus did. Jesus reached out to the needy. He loved the unlovable and he touched the untouchable. Somebody ought to grasp that, amen. Oh, you ought to let that marinate in your spirit. Paul said we were separated from the commonwealth of Israel. Are you with me, somebody? We was outcast, Brother Terry, uh, looking, uh, looking in from the outside. But I want to tell you now that God's gave us some Bob Uca seats. He's brought us in and put us on the front row. Glory to the Lamb of God. I want to tell you that he told the children of Israel, I'll make you the head and not the tail. I'm making a lender and not the borrower. Has anybody here enjoyed the blessings of God in that measure? You don't have to change to come to Jesus. You just come and he'll change you. Brother J.W. Bell told me at St. Paul's when we were ministering there, he said, son, you just catch them. God, I clean them. Somebody said, I'm glad because I don't like to gut fish. Hello, saints of God. But all we've got to do is throw out the lifeline and God will do the rest. Ain't that right? Oh, my somebody. He reached out to the needy, loved the unlovable, and touched the untouchable. The song said, oh, what a Savior is he. We find that Jesus' most popular method of teaching was that of parables. Parables. And parables were stories that illustrated either a moral or spiritual lesson. Right? At times, 
Jesus employed graphic analogies. He used things like salt and light. Jesus used things like bread. Jesus used analogies like sheep and goats, didn't he? Very painted, very vivid pictures. Graphic analogies when Jesus ministered. But let me help us in understanding something. Parables, Brother Oceanus, they require more explanation. Understand? Remember when we said just weeks ago when Paul was writing to the Corinthian believers, Paul said only the spiritual man can discern things of the spirit. You know why that is? Because the man in his own natural way of thinking and way of living will never grasp the things of the spirit. That's why it becomes challenging for us to minister to the lost at times. Do you know that at one point in Jesus' earthly ministry, he resorted to exclusively ministering in parables? I can show you where it's at in the Bible. How about Matthew chapter number 13? Matthew 13, verse 10. The Bible said the disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, Because it's been given you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. Are you getting this? Stick with me now. I got a fisherman. Jesus called some fishermen, didn't he? And he said, For whoever has to him more will be given. And he who will have abundance, but whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says hearing you will hear and shall not understand. Seeing you will see and not perceive. Stick with me, I'm going somewhere. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn. So that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes. Hallelujah. For you have seen. And your ears for they hear. For assuredly, stick with me, I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. In that same chapter, the Bible tells us of the parable of the dragon. Anybody ever read it? The parable of the dragnet. Show this congregation what that looks like, Brother Blue. It's a weighted net that is cast out over a body of water. Are you listening to me? And then it's dragged from the bottom of that body of water, collecting an assortment of fish. So let's read Matthew 13. Amen. Man, I believe you're going to catch some. Oh. Praise the Lord. You threw that thing with intent. It looked like you practiced a time or two. Praise the Lord. 
And the Bible says, listen, in Matthew 13, 47, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind. Are you getting this, saints of God? Which, when it was full, they drew to shore. Then they sat down and gathered the good into their vessels, but they threw the bad away. Anybody hear that? Listen to what Jesus says. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth. Separate the wicked from among the just. Lord, help me. Woo, hallelujah. And cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Who said this? It's written in red in your Bible. Jesus said this. And what happened is that Parables veiled the truth from casual listeners and opponents of Jesus. But when those persons who followed the Lord heard him teach in this manner, truth exploded in their minds as it was revealed unto them. Somebody say, how many parables are there in the Bible? Well, scholars argue that between 100 and 250 exist in the scriptures. I can tell you this, there are over 30 alone in the synoptic gospels with the exception of John who doesn't contain one. John doesn't contain one parable. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke contain at least 30, 30 parables of Jesus in their writings. This parable is very similar to something else we've read just a few verses earlier. And what parable would that be? The parable of the wheat and the tare. Or the parable. Oh, yeah, that's it. The wheat and the tare. The parable of the wheat and tare. Matthew 13, 36 through 43. What are they, what are they concerned? Does anybody know? What are, what are those parables concerned? What, 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 what are they concerned? Here's what they concern. They concern themselves with an end time sorting. Follow me? The word of the Lord said, let the wheat and the tare grow together. And he would do the separating. Anybody know what a tare is? It's a, it's a weed that looks just like the wheat. Very similar. And it grows up in the midst of the wheat harvest. But if we go there, Brother Alfred, and we begin to uproot those tares, what's going to happen to the wheat? We're going we're, we're to destroy the wheat. And was the wheat of any value? Oh, you better believe the wheat was of value. So Jesus said, Brother Joy, just let it alone. Let it grow together. But I'm coming in the harvest. And I'm going to do the separating. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Preacher, what does that mean? It means, let me tell you something, friend. It means that there's going to be an end time sorting. And in that sorting, God himself is going to be aided by angels. It's going to be a time when believers will be separated from unbelievers. Amen. And it just won't be for a short season. But it's going to be once and for all. Once and for all. The Bible said that fisherman threw out that dragnet. And he reeled it in. Then he sat down and began to sort the good from the bad. Brother Ernie, do you, do you sometimes bring up those kind of fish that are inedible, those fish that aren't healthy for you to eat? And what do you do? You have to discard them, don't you? But are there some good ones in there too? 
And this fisherman would say, are they keepers? Hallelujah. He said, yeah. Hallelujah. He sounded like he's ready to go fishing now, didn't he? Amen. Praise the Lord. So thank God that Jesus took time to make us aware, even in the form of parables, which required more explanation. And that Jesus spoke those only to the ears of those who would understand. Right? And that's why when we read the Bible, it is a part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit to assist us in understanding what God has written. What the devil don't want you to know is there's going to be an end time sorting. What the devil don't want you to know is that God has orchestrated a plan of salvation even before time itself began. I'm trying to finish. I'm talking about almost persuaded. King Agrippa said, you almost convinced me to become a Christian. Think about that, saints of God. How many people have you seen come to the altar of God to walk away as empty as they came? It was the enemy. It was the enemy who was weighing on their thought process. It was the enemy who was putting those burdens on their heart that separated them from God. How many times have we witnessed people come to the altar who said, it's just not right. I got to get some things right with God. I told us just moments ago, we can't get things right before we come to God. That's why we come to God. Oh, my somebody. Do you know that God has a plan of salvation? And that it was not just some plan that was unveiled when Jesus came to earth. But ever since the fall and even before that God had a plan. Are you with me? Somebody said a plan is a method of acting, doing, or making something. That's what a plan is. Well, God's plan of salvation involves the redeeming reconciliation of humanity through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Scriptures clarify that reality, do they not? Matter of fact, I want to let y'all know right now there's only one plan that exists. There's no plan B. Hello, saints of God. I said there's only one plan to redeem humanity, and that was the cross of Christ. Amen? Didn't the Bible tell us in the book of Hebrews there would never have to be another sacrifice? There would never have to be another offering because now once and for all, the blood of Christ was shed so that no other animal has to die for the sin of mankind. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that a blessing that God had already drawn out this plan? Before the foundation of the world. That's what stumps the enemy. You need to know that what plan man has is of no value. Humanity's plan would involve observing rituals. It would involve obeying certain commands. Man, the, the plan of humanity would even involve achieving certain levels of spiritual enlightenment. But none of these are a part of God's plan. None of them. But thank God for our Lord Jesus Christ. You see that, you see that screen? God's plan of salvation. Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, and remain faithful. That's the plan of God, the plan of salvation. And if we embrace that, I believe we're a candidate of heaven as if we was already there. I might as well preach while I'm here. 
Let's talk about the word repentance for a second. Talk about the word repentance. Repentance derives from the Greek word metanoia. It means a change of mind. That's what repentance means. It's associated with turning from sin. Then I want to look at 2 Corinthians chapter number 7, verses 9 and 10. 2 Corinthians 7, 9, that's Chronicles. Let's go to Corinthians in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. The Bible says, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, This is Paul writing. Not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner. That you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow, get this, godly sorrow produces repentance. Leading to salvation. Not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Now some folks believe that Paul wrote at least four letters to the Corinthian church. Some scholars agree that when this reference was made that Paul was talking about a lost letter. Where he had to administer discipline, Brother Greg, to the believers at Corinth. But listen what Paul said. Paul said... It caused you pain. It caused you distress. But all of this was for a good cause. It was for a good cause. And if you don't know anything else, I want you to know this. There's a big difference between regret, remorse, and repentance. Can I help somebody? Stand with me all over the building. I said, you need to understand there is a big difference Between regret. You know what regret is? I'm sorry that I got caught. That's what regret is. I'm sorry, but I'm just sorry because I got caught. I've heard people say this out of their own mouth, and here's what they say. It ain't wrong till you get caught. Is that a lie? That's a lie from the pit of hell. It ain't wrong till you get caught. The Bible said when a man knows to do right and doth wrong, to him it is a sin. So if we know it's wrong and do it anyway, whether we're caught or not, it don't change the fact that it's a sin. Preach, Pastor. It's still sin. It's a big difference between I got caught and feeling guilty for what I've done that was wrong. Am I, am, I, I mean, am I in the book, y'all? Does everybody understand? People ask me this question all the time. When you're in spiritual leadership, man, inquiring minds want to know. People said, Pastor, Jesus chose Judas as one of the 12 disciples. But Judas committed suicide. Did Judas... Go to heaven. 
Some of you are like, oh, my word. No, the pastor didn't just say that. I want to tell you something. I don't know where Judas went. But I do know he's going to stand before the righteous God of heaven and earth. And face the sentence of everlasting life. I do know that. It's not my place, Brother Anthony. It's no one else's place to place anyone in any eternal destiny. People say, oh, if they didn't leave a testimony, they went to hell. Listen, you don't know what transpired between an individual and when they took their last breath in the presence of God. So it is not our place. We are not authorized to make a said judgment. That's up to God. That's up to God. But I do want us to know this. There's a difference between regret, remorse, and repentance. Look what the scripture says on the screen. It tells us right there in Matthew 27, 3 and 5, Judas felt great remorse over what he had done, but he did not repent. He did not change his mind. So let me tell you something. Saying sorry, being sorry, or even feeling sorry are not the same as repenting. They're not the same. Here's something else that will surprise you. Repentance is not an inherently theological word. You're like, what? I, I, I can't believe that. No. In its original language, the Greek language, repentance. Metanoa. It simply means the change of mind. We relate it to the turning from sin. So I want to tell you this. If we're driving the wrong way on a road, are we going to continue to go that way when we realize it? Or are we going to get off at the next exit and go the right way? Can I hear somebody say amen? Come on, y'all. If we, Mike, if we know we're going to Myrtle Beach, but we start heading towards Charlotte, are we going to have the recognition to say, hey, wait, man, I, I, I had a destination that was this way, and I'm headed that way. Am I going to get off at the next exit, or, or, or am I going to keep going? Do what? Brother said, turn around. Good Lord, I felt that. Hallelujah. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, if you're going the wrong way, turn around. I got to quit. Have mercy. Change your mind. Turn around. Go another direction. Call on the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of your soul. I want to tell you, Paul said, Godly sorrow produces repentance, which leads to salvation. Can somebody say amen to God on that? So Paul said, don't think it a bad thing. Paul said, look, it happened for a purpose. What it did was help you to understand you needed to repent in the sight of God. We change directions, we turn around, and then we proceed to our desired destination. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed all over this auditorium. Can I encourage you today not to be one of those persons who was almost persuaded? Can I encourage you to be that one that was fully persuaded? Can I encourage you to be the one that tomorrow would walk on your job singing a song, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning if you're lost today, the Bible makes it clear that Jesus came to save you. Hallelujah.
He's already told us in his word, if you will, you don't need a doctor. But I've came to those who are spiritually sick and in need of a savior. Sadly enough, we have all been infected by sin. Romans 3.23 said all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Luke 19 and 10 tells us, hallelujah, in the Bible itself, it tells us the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. You need to know today that even though we've been affected by, infected by sin, Jesus came to save us. Would you do me a favor today? Would you follow the Holy Spirit's prompting that you feel right now and invite him into your heart. The altar of God is open should you need to come. That's the reason we made this altar accessible all the way around. Because we understand that the altar is a place to meet God. He loves you today. In my closing, let me pray for you and help you understand. There's going to be an end time sorting in this world. And the angels of God are going to assist the good from the bad, separating the good from the bad. It's going to take place, my friend, and it could be sooner than we think. Sooner than we think. Father, I want to thank you today for this great group of people who have assembled in this place today to worship you, Lord. I want to thank you, God, that your word did not fall upon deaf ears, but, Lord, by the response, Lord, that I was able to feel, Lord, coming from this group of people. I want to thank you that they received your word with gladness and singleness of heart. And I want to thank you today that your spirit met us here. Lord, that it rested upon us as we ministered your word. I pray now for those, Lord, who are viewing and those who are listening via social media. I pray for those in their homes right now battling sickness and or disease. I pray for those recovering, Lord, from surgeries and, and procedures. I pray for them. More importantly, God, I pray for the lost that they will cry out to you before it's eternity too late. What must I do to be saved? Lord, help them not to be counted in the number like Agrippa, who was almost persuaded. These things we pray by faith, believing as though we've asked in Jesus' name, God's church shouted together, amen and amen.